The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to me, Matt Slick. Matt Slick Live. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877 877- Two zero seven two two seven six. I want to hear from you. We got four open lines, and if you want, you can email me instead of calling. And if you have a question or comment you'd like me to read over the air and go and respond to, then just go check out uh, info at karm.org. That's where you got to email us. Info at karm.org. And uh, whoop, there's a yawn. Sorry about that. Whoo, and. Uh, Sorry, I, don't know how many, I always wonder how many people yawn when I yawn on the, on the air. If people are yawning, you know, in their cars, driving, or whatever they do. Anyway, so there you go. We have uh, four open lines, 877-207-2276. If you want to give me a call, please do. And if you want to email me, you can do that as well, info at karm.org. I'm looking at the inbox for that right now. So uh, if you want to do that, that'd be great. All right, all right, all right, all right. And uh, let's see. Ah, oh, man, there's a lot of stuff. I just released two articles today. I think it was two. Let me check. I think it was two. I've been try- I, you know, sometimes you just write them and they come out quickly, and you get to get to the point. Um, so I wrote, "Why does the wicked? Or why do the wicked prosper?" Another one: "What is the doctrine of of inseparable operations?" Dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. So I wrote those today. Yesterday I wrote uh, two on a Bible contradiction and also a word of the Beatitudes. And happy Valentine's Day to my wife and everybody else. Um, uh, hope you had a, you know, had a good weekend. Hope you're having a good Valentine's. All right. I think that's about it. So why don't we just get on the calls and let's check them out. Rudolph from North Carolina. Welcome. You're on the air. Is a Armenian theology considered to be heretical? No, no. There are some Calvinists who would say that it is, uh, and I can understand why they would. Uh, but I don't consider it uh, heretical. There are people who are Armenians; they still love the Lord; they're still trusting in Christ alone for the uh, salvation for their salvation. So you know, we don't become a Christian once we we uh, adopt the five points. So uh, no, it's not heretical. I would say it's less informed, but I wouldn't say heretical at all. Okay. Okay. okay thank you very much. <laughs> all Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. You too. All right. God bless. All right. Okay. That was an easy question. And uh, if you want, give me a call. Eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. Let's get to no name. <laughs> Welcome. You are on the air. I went to the desert with a woman with no name or something. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, happy Valentine's. Um, you just gave away your age. I was bad. It was so bad. It was bad. <laughs> I was um, just thinking of Le- Bad Bad Leroy Brown about 20 minutes ago. I don't know why I was thinking of that song. Anyway, you got me going. Okay, so go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, uh, oh, question. 
The my brother had written something on this. Uh, well, obviously before he passed away, um, about the UFOs being, and I think uh, you mentioned something along these effects. Um, forgive me if I don't remember exactly, but um, about UFOs, aka Nephilim. Isn't yes, that? I mean, theories. the dark was it, was it, you talked about the dark powers and. Mm-hmm. Um, these UFOs being, or I might have it wrong, forgive me, um, they're Nephilim, bottom line, I guess. Right. Yes, uh, that's one of the main theories uh, about UFOs. Um, and the reason is, is because mathematically uh, there's no possibility of life floating by chance any place in the universe. Mm. Now, I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. if those who are listening might say that's not true. Well, you know... <laughs> I've done a lot of uh, research on this, and um, the Drake equation doesn't work. But the odds of life forming by chance are exponentially in the tens of thousands, uh, and it's just ridiculously uh, huge. Mm-hmm. People don't understand mm-hmm. the mathematics. I could explain it to people if they're interested. But nevertheless, um, the ne- the uh, the let's see how do we say this? The UFOs, the aliens, um, these creatures, whatever they are. And they're real. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are happening. There's detectable on radar and sonar. They leave physical marks. People are abducted, except Christians aren't abducted for some reason. And uh, the UFOs teach theology, and they teach Jesus is not God. Reincarnation's true, and uh, we're all divine by nature. So this is mm-hmm. what uh, has been across the board. And Illuminati uh, and such and such. Well, that's a different thing. They might be working with them. Who knows? You know, the Trilateral Commission, the Illuminati, but um, and the Masons. Who knows? You know, there's all these conspiracy mm. theories. And uh, my favorite, right. of course, is the Anunnaki, uh, which I believe are the half-breed uh, products of uh, Nazis and reptilian aliens. Oh, I saw breed. that on the. Isn't yeah. that awesome? Yeah, I love that. Theory. Oh man! Yeah, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's a movie I'd go see. <laughs> It's just, it's so ridiculous that it's awesome. But at any rate, so yeah, I could go into more detail about this stuff and, and what's going on. But these things are real. Uh, but what are they? That's the question. Well, I've got to try, since I've come of faith, a strong believer is that I equate it, and I didn't even know about Acts until after I became a believer, but that I would tell people, I said, well, it's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but something blowing those leaves around, does that mean that just because you can't see it, it's not there? I mean, yes, it's very real. So anyway, that's You're talking about the, <laughs> the Nephilim or the UFOs or what? No, no, just talking about as far as not being able to see the wind, but something's blowing those leaves around. Oh, that's, yes, back to we don't, just because we don't believe it or we don't see them like we do other things that they're not real or they're just made up. No, I don't believe right. that. Yes, but people need some evidence, and uh, the government yes, is slowly re- <laughs> the government is yeah. slowly re- releasing more and more information about this. More and more people are seeing things. You can see videos all over the place, but there is an occult mm-hmm. connection with them. One of the main guys I've watched over the years. Um, he says, go out in the desert to contact UFOs. You get into a meditative sta- uh, trance. You open your mind yeah. up to the universe, and then they appear. And this is the exact same procedure you do in the New Age to contact spirits. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the occult. You're opening up all open. sorts of doors. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, 
Okay. I've been dabbling and dabbling since I was 15 without going into um, there's no other there's no other way there's no other God no yeah. your, your connection is getting worse so it's hard to understand you but um, oh so but yeah so I can okay. talk about it probably will there's nobody waiting I'll probably talk a little bit about it before the next break okay okay more. all right all right God bless okay. my friend thank you all right God, God bless all right, so what's interesting is uh, one of the theories in um, all of this, the Nephilim, is uh, that from Genesis 6, it talks about the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves from whoever they chose. And uh, the uh, the theory that was held by the Jews and the church, uh, basically all the Christians up to the 1500s until it was attacked and then changed their view, but it was that the Nephilim were the offspring between fallen angels and women. Uh, and so we go into Genesis 6, the flood came, um, and the wickedness was abounding. And uh, so Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, verse 8. These are the records of the generations of Noah, a righteous man, blameless in his generations. So one of the theories is that Noah, he had a perfect uh, biological line in that it was not messed up by inter any uh, interbreeding with a nephilim this is one of the theories okay <clears throat> sorry about that to cough and so that's why it says he's perfect in all his generations that he's blameless in his time as uh, one translation of the nesb puts it in fact i'm curious now how other translations uh, render it the esv well, that's interesting. Uh, blameless in his generation. Um, that's why did they do that that way? That's weird. Normally, it does something differently in my computer. No matter. So, the, um, so the theory is that Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And so, some people think that the UFO phenomena is really a form of the Nephilim. They were wiped out in the flood, but it looks like they continued to do this breeding thing uh, after the flood. This is one of the, the, like I said, one of the theories. Now, is there merit to it? Well, let me tell you some stuff. Uh, if you go to Daniel 2.43, you'll see that it's uh, dealing with the, the, uh, the vision Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And where the top is gold, and it goes on to silver, and then um, uh, bronze, and then iron mixed with clay. And these are supposed to be periods of time. And so most of the commentators that I've checked out who really study this stuff, because I really don't, but they have uh, said that this looks like it's the reference to the end times. Well, what's interesting is in Daniel 2.43, in the context of that, it says, And in that, in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seat of men they'll not adhere to one another and so one of the theories about that is uh, they'll combine with the seed of men and that the they can't be people so one of the theories based on this is that this breeding program will continue so the UFOs uh, do teach theology and I remember reading this uh, back uh, before I don't know I can't even tell you what decade it was I just uh, read I used to read voraciously when I was younger would always have a book in my hand and uh, 
I would read. Uh, I would, when I had jobs, if I had the opportunity to read during work, I would open up a book, leave it next to me, and work for a while, then glance over, read a paragraph, and think about it. And, and this is the way it was. And so uh, I was reading these articles, and uh, a secular psychologist started doing uh, research on UFO abductees. I long since forgot which article it was, but I remembered the article because of the ending. And this guy is not a Christian. He's a secular guy, and uh, he started interviewing uh, UFO abductees to find commonalities, and he did. You know, A lot of people have done this kind of a thing. And so he uh, put him under hypnosis in order to find out any more details, and he did. And one of the individuals he spoke to said that the aliens taught theology. This is what he wrote in this article. And uh, it was uh, he was blown away by this. So he re-interviewed some people under hypnosis and found out that there was a commonality, not among all of them, but the ones who did admit that, yeah, they were teaching theology, said that Jesus was not God, uh, that, uh, that we're all uh, divine and reincarnation is true. And so what blew me away in the article was that he, he made the mention, he mentioned that he was not a Christian and that he went to the Bible just to research because that's where Jesus is found and he brought a Bible into his sessions and he started to interview them again and, and it would read the Bible to him you know what about this verse here that it sound like this and he said he was blown away because they started acting like the demoniacs did they would get angry and cuss and swear and all this stuff and he was blown away and this is what I read in a secular uh, magazine I'm surprised they let it out because they would they'd censor that by now. So that was one of the things that started me studying. And I have studied a lot over the years about this. Maybe I'll we'll talk some more about it after the break. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want, you can give me a call, 877-207-2276. You don't have to, but you can. Or if you want, you can email me at um, info at karm.org. Info at karm.org. That's another possibility. All right, let's see. Um, uh, okay, interesting. don't know. I don't see the links on Rumble. It should be there. Everything should be there. Anyway, uh, let me put the Rumble thing in. For, I don't know if that's what uh, the issue is here in the private chat. We've got all kinds of stuff we're working on all the time. All right, about UFOs. So, um, so I started studying because of that story. Uh, I became very interested in that topic. And I was a Christian at the time, of course. But I don't even remember how long ago it was. It was just so long ago. Before I went to uh, seminary, that's for sure. And so um, I've listened to hundreds of hours of stuff on UFOs, on tapes, um, you know, MP3s, actually, you know, driving here, driving there, listen to one after the other, after the other, and listen. I did it for years. And after a while, I wasn't being exposed to anything new. It was just repetition of things. I've listened to stuff about uh, guys seeing things in their backyards, uh, moving uh, people, uh, women, a woman in particular who uh, contacts UFOs by uh, getting involved into the occult, uh, 
a, a man who does seances to uh, contact the occult. Uh, I've heard stories of people saying that uh, there are people in our government who they've already got this technology going. They've already been to the stars, they've said. Um, there's all kind of stuff. There's, I think it was 1980, 81, something like that. There was a, one of the best sightings ever was in England on a U.S. military base there. And it was, uh, there was a UFO that was seen on radar approaching. And so people had time to get outside of these buildings. It was in the evening or at night. I forgot which. It was a, a small crew. But plenty of people saw this thing, and it just hovered out right over their buildings, like 200 feet up. Huge. And, uh, you know, GIs, enlisted people, radar. I mean, it, it was it was documented. And then a, a, a pyramid kind of a craft landed out in the woods, uh, not too far from there. One guy touched it, wrote down symbols that are on it, things like this. It's one of the best sightings. Every country has sightings of UFOs, every single one of them. And some of the major countries... Uh, Apparently, have downed crash, uh, have possession of things. This is what you know. Do you hear this stuff? How much of it is true? You don't know. Now, can life form by chance anywhere in the universe? Uh, no, it can't. There's a real simple reason. The mathematics doesn't allow it. And I'll, I'll try and illustrate it here uh, quickly by uh, illustrating what's called factoring. Factoring is uh, if you have two blocks. And this will make sense in a minute. Just give me a, a bit to lay this down. Two blocks on a table and have them in a straight line. How many different ways can they be arranged? Well, just two. Because there's two, so you say two times one, that's two. If there's three blocks, you say three times two times one. And that's six times. Six different ways, three different blocks can be arranged in a straight line. If you have four blocks, then it's four times three times two times one. So four times three is 12 times two is 24. So it goes really interesting. It goes 2, 6, 24. Then 5 blocks would be that number times 5. So we're talking 120 here. And so it goes 2, uh, two uh, 6, um, 12, uh, then it goes to 120. You can see how these numbers just go up very quickly the further out you get. And they get up so high, I can't even find a calculator online that can answer the question of certain mathematics. So the reason this is important is because DNA is comprised of four nucleotide bond pairs, adenine, guanine, cytosine, thymine. AG and, uh, a, or AT and GC uh, go together. AT goes together, adenine and thymine and guanine and cytosine. And so it's AT or TA, so you can go left, right, right, left. You can have them just, you know, whatever. And you can have GC and CG, so there's one in four possibilities. Now, this is why it's important. DNA, doxyribonucleic acid, is uh, basically a twisted uh, helix. It's a twisted ladder. And the reason it has a twist is because of the sugar phosphate bond that, that comes together for the nucleotide bond pairs. At any rate, if you just lay this out, what are the odds of, uh, you know, just imagine a ladder, and the first rung could be 1 in 4, AT or TA, GC or CG. So it's going to be 1 in 4 odds. Well, 1 in 4 is 0.25. It's a quarter. You know, 0.25 is, you know, that's what it is. It's a fraction in, in a converted to a decimal. 1 quarter, 1 over 4 is the same as uh, 0.25. So that means then that when you have 2, it is 0.25 times 0.25. You have 3, it's 0.25 times 0.25 times 0.25. 
And what happens is uh, the further out you go, you go, the astoundingly quick uh, does the, the numbers uh, rise about any particular formation and arrangement of the nucleotide bond pairs. So, a virus, the smallest, one of the, I forgot the name of it, but one of the smallest viruses has something like 220,000 of these nucleotide bond pairs. So that's 0.25 to the 225,000th power. Now, people don't understand how humongous a, a number that is. There's only supposed to be 10 to the 80th particles in the entire universe. That's a one with 80 zeros behind it. In fact, check this out. If you take a single piece of paper, one five hundredth of an inch thick, so that 500 sheets of paper is one inch tall. So one piece of paper is one five hundredth of an inch. So you tear that piece of paper in half, and you have two. Tear those in half, you have four. Tear those in half, you have eight. You just do this, doubling it, 50 times. How tall is the stack? Well, you can take a guess here in the next five seconds how long do you think it is. How tall is the stack? Well, it turns out the answer is 35,500,000 miles. This is called uh, exponential notation. It's 2 to the 50th, and then you just convert 2 to the 50th into, uh, into um, you know, inches and then feet and then uh, miles. Anyway, I've done this many times math mathematically, so it's not a big deal. I'm just trying to illustrate the distance uh, that that is. 35 billion miles is almost halfway to the sun. It's, it's just because the sun's 93 million miles, so you know it's about a third of the way to the sun. So here's the thing: if you're to take every single particle in the universe, which is 10 to the 80th, and if the universe was 18 billion years old, which I don't grant. But let's just work with the secularist view, just just for uh, good, uh, kicks and giggles. And every single particle in the universe was changing state at its maximum rate for 80, uh, 10 to the 80th uh, particles for 18 billion years. And the maximum rate, which is 10 to the 40th times per second, you get a total of 10 to the 138th events. That's one with 138 zeros. That's how many events. If every atom in the universe is changing its state, every atom, in the entire universe, the maximum rate for 18 billion years, that's uh, 10 to 138th uh, things that have changed that many times. That, that's it. 10 to the 138th is called the universal probability bound. So it's just a theoretical number about the maximum possible events in the known universe. And so why is that significant? Because 10 to the 138th is an incredibly vast number. It's just so big that it's just, it's so vast. And we go back to the break, I'll tell you some more. So theoretically, zero is 10 to the 50th. They say functionally it's zero on paper. We'll get uh, to more and I'll tell you why this is important about life forming by chance. We'll get right back after these messages. Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, buddy. Let me uh, kind of close this up what I was talking about here with this mathematics. Um, so I've researched what's functional zero mathematically, and it's 10 to the 50th. There's No one really agrees that that's the exact number. I mean, but it's kind of a number that I've seen has come up, and people say, well, it's functionally zero. They just kind of use that number because the odds are so incredibly high against it. 
Well, the issue here is uh, the formation of information because life is information plus energy in a biological structure. And, and energy, excuse me, information is super complex. The DNA molecule is incredibly complex and there has to be a reader that uh, goes through and let's just say reacts to it. And then that has to have information designed from something else, which has to have information designed from something else, which then causes something else to occur, and it goes on and on and on. The complexity of this is so remarkable that uh, mathematically uh, life can't form by chance any place in the universe. It just doesn't work. And um, there's a, an article written years ago called The, the Mathematical Challenges to the Neo-Darwinian Theory of Evolution. And it works from within that theory and demonstrates that uh, the mathematics against uh, the formation of information structures and phylogeneration and uh, propagation is uh, is challenged greatly by the math. Now, the funny thing about mathematics is is it relates to actuality. Now, that's a fascinating topic in itself because why does something that's an abstract thing react, not react, uh, relate to uh, how things work in the real world? That, that's a fascinating topic, and I've got some theories about it, but nevertheless. So uh, this is why uh, the Drake equation, for those who, don't, who know what it is, doesn't work, and mathematics doesn't support this. So long story short, where did uh, these UFOs come from? If they're not formed by any chance uh, out the universe, because it's just mathematics doesn't allow it, where did they come from? What are they? What, what's going on? That's the question. And since they teach theology and Christians don't get abducted, what does it make you think? All right. All right. Let's get on the air with uh, Martin from Virginia. Martin, welcome. You're on the air. Hey, Matt. God bless. Thanks for your sure. ministry. Oh, praise God, man. Um, so, you know, kind of tacking on to what you were talking about, let me, uh, you know, add a conversation a year and a half ago or so from a uh, individual just graduated from college, I think, or was in college still. And uh, and DNA came up, and, and I, I was talking about the probability of how DNA in life and how incredibly rare it is. And, you know, they, they, they went to the typical, maybe agnostic type thing of the multiverse. I'm like, oh, cool. So if you have multiple chances and multiple tries, it doesn't matter about the probability. I said, well, then that that means that maybe in some universe you were purple, right? Or you were black. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's one of the theories. That's the possibility of the multiverse. So maybe you were super tall or super short, right? And I said, well, then in the multiverse, it could be that this is the universe where God does exist and there's a heaven and a hell. And they, they, they couldn't swallow that. They, they wouldn't agree to that. Go, well, then there's no multiverse, right? You, you can't have a multiverse if there's ultimate, you know, opportunity right. or outcome. Right. And they... You know, they came back to me a, a day later and said, well, the reason I, I can't buy into that is because you can't have a heaven and you can't have a hell if there's, you know. And, and I explained to him, that's because you're not buying into the concept of a true multiverse. And I said, if you believe in a multiverse, there's every outcome, and you could potentially be in the outcome that you don't like. And we, we discussed this kind of heatedly a few times. I said, you can't believe in multiverse if you can't believe that this is the universe that potentially has God in it and a heaven and a hell as the outcome. And it was like, uh, you can't argue with that. <laughs> they just wouldn't agree with them. Like, oh, then right. you can't believe in a multiverse. No, no, there is. Like, well, there, there's not if you, if you try to set boundaries on it. 
Yeah, one of the things I will argue, I'll use that. I'll say, well, if you, do you believe in the multiverse? Yes, I do. Okay, well, then you're a Christian. And they say, no, I'm not. I says, yeah, you are, because in, in one of those multiverses, you're a Christian. And right now, in one of those multiverses, you're arguing against your atheistic self. So which one of you is correct? And that's one yeah, of the sure. things I, I will do with them. And, and I enjoy that. Uh, they aren't able to answer that. And I say, and in one of those universes, the Christian God exists. And by definition, the Christian God exists uh, through all of them. And he's supreme over all of them. So now you're really in trouble. What are you going to do about that? And, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really press them to the, to the boundary, to the edge, edge cases of what a multiverse could mean, mm-hmm. they start to deny what a multiverse is, still trying mm-hmm. to support a multiverse, but then deny it. Like, ah. Right. But yeah, yeah. But, They're very inconsistent. Because they're looking for reasons to deny God's existence. They don't want to believe in God because they want to be their own gods. And so you can use their logic against them. One of the other things I will do is I'll talk to somebody, people have a conversation like that, and I'll say, okay, so you see the problem with this view that you have, that working with your view on multiverses means that you are refuting your own view of no God. And so that, that just doesn't work. Let me show you something else, I'll say to them. And I'll say, uh, if, is the universe all there is? And as soon as they say yes, it's over for them, but they just don't know it yet. And I'll say, so then your physical brain is limited to operating under the laws of chemistry, right? Yes, okay. Then that means that your physical brain is producing your thoughts due to chemical reactions, necessary chemical reactions. So how do you know your chemical reactions are producing truth? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the pure, the, the materialistic conundrum where you're done if you're a true materialistic person. Right. And so that view doubts itself or causes doubt to be upon itself because you couldn't know from the perspective if the view is true because you can't know if what you're thinking and theorizing and believing is true because it's just chemical reactions. So I say it undermines itself. So why do you continue to believe in that? Furthermore, if you step outside of that worldview and use transcendentals or universal principles, then you're negating the idea of materialistic thought and you're refuting it then and you're joining me in my world. So which one do you want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and well, you can't really enter the mind or consciousness or the soul. They don't accept that. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't walk the path of materialism. So they, they right, have a problem with that. Yeah, they do. And when they they say that this, you know, I'll ask them. Another way to get in that side door is to say, do you believe that when you die, you cease to exist? And if they say yes. Okay, then that means that your mind is a product of your physical brain. That's called property dualism. And I'll say, are you aware of that? And they said, yeah, okay. That, uh, so when your chemicals cease to function, you cease to function, right? Yes, you cease to exist, right? Okay, well, that's uh, just another form of materialism. Therefore, the chemical reactions in your brain are all you are. You don't even know if you are, um, are, are correct. You can't even know if your thoughts are your own. And then from that point, whatever they say, I just say, hey, you're, you're, the brain chemicals may just say that. And then it you know, just, say, yeah. just say that for a while. Hey, your chemicals. I did that in a debate with uh, Matt Delahanty, a well-known atheist, and uh, he didn't like it. But he was cornered intellectually, and that's just how it is. Atheism is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I've been in a, a years-long discussion, I'd call it debate more, with a mm-hmm. family member of mine about moral and 
and she's very, you know, uh, socialistic and, mm-hmm. you know, agnostic. Brainwashed. And I'm like, and she believes that, yeah, that morals are just a social, social okay, construct. And, and, and I showed her why, why it's not, you know, what, what is right to her? What is wrong? And I showed her through, there's a great book by some, uh, you know, Science of the Good, of uh, some U- University of Virginia science, uh, PhDs that wrote how moralism has not been proven as a socialist construct, and they go through all the, the typical, you know, Hom and and, and and Fromm and all all the, the great thinkers of our time, and is and ought, and, and they show how prescriptive well, and descriptive it is. Oh, yeah, you know about is not good for you. Here, here's a sentence that I use. I set people up for this, and it really messes with them. And um, I use this in my debate with the atheist Dan Barker, but I developed it and I've used it ever since. So I'll ask them. I'll say, so there, are there any universal morals? And they'll say, well, there, no, there's not. I says, okay. So a universal moral would imply a universal mind, right? They say, yeah, yeah, it does. It implies that. I says, okay. Now, do you agree with me that statements are either true or false? You know, for example, I am talking to you is true. You know, I am 66. It's true. I, I am an elephant. That's false. So statements uh, have truth or a falsity value, right? And they'll say, yes, good. Now I'm going to give you a statement. Tell me if this statement's true or false. And the statement is, it is always wrong for anyone to torture babies to death merely for their personal pleasure. So it's always wrong for anyone is universal. So tell me, is a statement true or is it not the case that it's true? If they say it's true, they are then supporting a universal moral, which they've already admitted uh, supports the idea of a universal mind. If they say it's not true, then I'll say, can you please explain to me a situation where it's okay for someone to torture babies to death merely for one's personal pleasure? Right. You're stuck either way. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, there you go, but I'm going to break. So God bless, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, folks, you want to give me a call? 877-207-2276. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live. Taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Just want to give you a reminder that if you're interested in supporting us, you can go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G forward slash donate. If you haven't checked out the carms.org website, you might want to consider it. It is uh, huge. Been uh, working on it for 27 years. It's had over, how many visitors it's had? It's had over 153 million visitors. And, um, We've got a lot of stuff there, so we try and write uh, consistently and logically and concisely. Now, here's the thing, that a lot of websites, they write very large articles. We like to write slick and quick, uh, or I could say quick and slick. Just get it right out there and get the answer as quickly as you can so that you can go on to the next topic, and we uh, do that. That's what we do. So our articles aren't as long as a lot of people's articles, but... Uh, they're to the point, and that's what you like, I hope. So there you go. Also, we have uh, T-shirts if you're interested, carmchristianwitness.com. Oh, we got to get that link. Uh, we got to figure out how to do that. Um, we'll do work on that. At any rate, to the, on the Carm website. But uh, there you go, and I think that's it. So let me uh, work uh, with this issue here of uh, an email that came in. And... Um, 
in the email, it was, uh, let me read it to you. I was wondering how you would respond to a Roman Catholic who says Scripture is only profitable, not our final authority for all things. Well, it's easy. You just ask them, what is your final authority? Where do you go to for the, the end all, so that you know what the truth is? Just ask them what the authority is. And what you'll find is that they're going to ultimately say their church. Now, there's a problem with that, because I'm going to then ask them, okay, and how do you know your church is the final authority? And if they say, well, the Bible says, oh, so now what you're doing is going to the scriptures to authenticate your church? So then does that not mean that these scriptures have authority over your church? Well, no, that's not true. No, it's actually the three things, uh, which what I've heard Catholics say, is the Catholic Church, or the magisterium, I should say, the magisterium, the teaching element of the Roman Catholic Church, the magisterium, sacred tradition, and the Bible, they're all equal, and they're all one thing, so it's one final authority. So what they're doing at that point is nothing more than playing games with words, because if you have three things, an apple, an orange, and a pear, and you put them into a bag, they're not all one thing. But this is what they'll do. They'll play games with logic, try and confuse things. They don't want to think quickly, or excuse me, critically, because they're bound in the, uh, the House of Idols of the Roman Catholic Church. And so I've heard them say this to me more and more recently, that all three are the final authority. Okay. So inside of those, which one is superior? And, uh, you know, there's different, different ways to, to tackle it. And that's one of the things I'll do. So which one's superior? None is superior. I say, okay, well, then who interprets Scripture? Well, it's your church, right? Yeah, that's what it is. So then your church gives the interpretation of what the Bible really means. So it has the authority over Scripture, right? Is that how it works? Because if I say the scriptures mean something different than what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, then who's correct? Well, you're not your own authority. I didn't say I was. If I just read the scriptures, then I believe it's the authority, and then I judge the, the church on it, is that okay? If they say, well, no, well, then why not? Because are you saying then that the, the magisterium has the authority, and that's what you're saying? Is that it? Because actually, that is what the, uh, uh, the Catholic Church teaches. It says this, uh, it says, let's see, uh, it holds its authorities, a matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the interpretation of the Word of God. And that's paragraph 85 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Church's magisterium exercises the authority it holds from Christ. That's paragraph 88. Um, uh, I would not believe in the gospel had not the authority of the Catholic Church already moved me. Paragraph 88. That to me is blasphemy. Uh, it's just so stupid. I'm sorry, but i got to say it like it is. Um, I would not believe in the gospel had not the authority of the Catholic Church already moved me. Give me a break. The Bible says that God grants that we believe, Philippians 1.29, that belief is in Christ, John 6.29. And so that's what the Bible says. Now, I would not believe in the gospel had not the authority of the Catholic Church already moved me. It's just a, it's a cult. You know, you walk into the, the house of the idols, the Catholic Church, and you'll see idolatrous idols all over the place. Their sacred tradition, their magisterium, their authority, Mary, Joseph, the saints, all this stuff they bow to. And the scriptures are just some place to be a subservient 
thing for the authority of the magisterium to tell you what is and is not true. And that false whore of uh, the devil, the Catholic Church, is leading millions upon millions to hell with its false gospel. At any rate, so uh, you can't have uh, multiple ultimates. You can only have one ultimate. Now, ultimately, that's God. And then on earth, what we have is the scripture. Because Jesus was here for 33 years, he ascended into heaven. So what he's left us in the prophets and the apostles is the writing of scripture, which is alone said to be inspired. The magisterium is not said to be inspired, and the uh, tradition of the Catholic Church is not said to be inspired. Of course, they'll say, well, you must listen to tradition, and I get into those side notes because... Um, that deals with uh, uh, things contextually. They, they take them out of context. I'm not going to get into all that. So here's the thing, is that uh, when the Catholic says that they're all three equal, that Scripture is only profitable for teaching, well, you know, there's a lot of things you could say. Well, okay, so it's profitable for teaching me how wrong your church is, right? You just, you know, have fun. And they're going to say, well, no, it, it supports the Catholic Church. Where? Show me where in the Bible. And they're going to go to Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 16, 19, John 20, 23, 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. You know, they're going to go to, you know, uh, varying verses where they're going to rip things out of context. So if they ever do that, what you have to do is say, well, hold on, let's do one at a time. Let's go look at what it says in the scriptures and to see if what they say it says is what it says. And so if you do that, uh, you'll find out that a lot of times... What they say doesn't have anything to do with, with what they want it to say. Because they're, they're loyalists to the Catholic Church. Now, the word for church in Greek is ekklesia, ekklesia. So idolatry is serving another uh, god, uh, something you call God or lift up as God, uh, besides the true living God. And uh, so I, uh, ecclesiolatry is church worship. Now they will say, I've had them say this to me, Matt, you're a bibliolatrist. I said, I am, which means I worship the Bible. That's what they're saying. They'll say, could you please define that for me? You know, because I know what they mean. I just want to see what they're going to say. Oh, you worship the Bible. I says, I do? I didn't know I do. I, I don't have an altar like you do of Mary. I don't have a statue of the Bible like you do of Mary. I don't kneel before a statue uh, of the Bible like you do with Mary. So how am I a, you know, a, a Bible, a, Bible, a bibliolatrist? How's that work? He said, you're the one who bows down before the statues. You're the one who prays to these things represented by these statues. You're the one who does that. I'm not the one who does that. I trust in my Lord. And so... Uh, the Catholic Church says it has that authority. All right. So here's the thing. This is simple logic. How many ultimates can you have? What is your ultimate source of truth? And what the ultimate means is there's nothing greater than it and nothing equal to it. Otherwise, it's not ultimate. So this goes back to a concept. There is uh, what we call facts. A fact is a truth statement or some actuality that we recognize as having existence. So there's different ways to define fact. But for now, what we'll call a fact is uh, something that has existence, uh, can also be known of, and things like that. And some, things fa some facts exist without our knowledge, but nevertheless. 
Nothing that exists, no fact that exists, exists autonomously. This is a simple principle. Nothing like that exists autonomously, which means all facts exist in a context of other facts. So, uh, I have a glass of water in my right hand. It's a clear glass, you see? Oops, I just tapped it. It's pretty loud. And so, I uh, tapped it with my fingernails. So that's a, a glass of water. Well, that fact has a context. It's sitting on my desk with me in my office, uh, here in Idaho, etc. No fact exists independently of other facts, at least uh, in our world. Okay, we'll get to the issue of God himself another time. Because he, he is a say, a say. he is uh, independent of all things, but nevertheless. So facts that exist, exist in a context, and they exist in a causal chain of contexts. So the fact that my glass is here on my desk, right there on my desk, there it is, is because I brought it up here upstairs. Well, the reason I brought it upstairs is because it was downstairs. The reason it was downstairs is because we bought it at a store. The reason it's at a store is because it was made at a factory. Well, the reason it was made at a factory is because people were there, and the factory was there. We can go back and back and back. You know, where did, What's the ultimate? Where did it all come from? The causal chain can only have one ultimate beginning. So all facts have their ultimate context in a single beginning. It's just that simple. All facts have their context in a single beginning, an uncaused cause. We could get into that about the necessity of uh, only two possibilities, a personal cause or an impersonal cause. And one of them has to be the case of that initiated all events through a single uh, beginning. And so all of our facts exist as a contextual reflection of the causal chain of all events that lead back to the initial cause. That's what it is. So this is what an ultimate is. I just spent time talking about it. So when you talk to Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and they put the ultimate as a tripartite uh, arrangement of equal uh, stature of scripture, tradition, and magisterium, then you can set each one of them against each other and show that they are not equally ultimate because you can't have equal ultimate things. Now, as I said before, they're going to say, no, they are equally ultimate. They're the foundation. Well, no, they're not because that each one is different than the other. Tradition is not the same thing as scripture. Oh, yes, it is. It's just not written down. And uh, then that's another issue we could talk to about. And then the magisterium, is that tradition? No, it's not. It's a bunch of guys together, you know, dressed in big fancy robes with rings and stuff like that who sit in uh, gold-laden chairs and, and make pronouncements because they have the authority of God and stuff like that. And I say, which one of those is the thing you look to? the most. Do you go to scripture equally with all the rest of them if they're equally ultimate? Or do you trust what your church says? You just cross-examine them and you find out what they're saying. They don't believe in the ultimate. This is why they're illogical and this is why they are idolaters, the Roman Catholics, like Eastern Orthodox. Because both live in a house of idols comprised of their sacred tradition and the opinions of men that they look to and bow the knee to 
instead of making those men, those ancient church fathers, bow their knee to the scriptures, the inspired word of God, instead of looking to God's word, they look to man's word to interpret God's word. And that's their authority. And that's why they're lost, because they don't believe in the true gospel revealed in scripture. Hey, there you go. May the Lord bless you by his grace. We'll be back on here tomorrow. Hope you had a good time. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless. Bye. Another program powered by the Truth Network.